Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FPNA leaders and planning experts. Happy Friday, everyone. We're, we're back. Uh, FPNA Fridays. We have the uh, the magnificent Glenn Snyder and the irrepressible Chris Ortega. Gents, uh, how are we feeling today? Feeling great. It's a, it's a great day, man. It's uh, August. You know, the month is closing down halfway between the quarter. It's a nice sunny day outside and it's FPNA Fridays. Well, speaking of closing down, uh, today's topic is going to be talking about uh, somewhat of those processes, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get into the, to the close process, but talking about connecting the, the office of the CFO through finance and accounting. Uh, it's a really important topic for everyone out there. When that is firing, it can add a tremendous amount of value to the business but it also comes with its challenges, uh, especially as you think about those two houses and how they work and the way that they approach things very differently. Uh, and we, we've made the jokes before, right? You know, you, if you get creative on the accounting side, you go to jail. If you get creative on the FPNA side, you get promoted, right? Um, so, so, you know, there's an element of creativity there. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of CFOs I talk to, a lot of uh, FPNA leaders, they always say, you know, I'm a recovering accountant uh, and, you know, they, they make the jump because they enjoy that creative side. First question, are either of you trained accountants? No. Yeah. Uh, so me, I started off my career, my first six years of my career were at Ian. I did the big four, started off at Ernst & Young um, and then jumped into a high growth technology company from an accounting perspective. So uh, I originally started my career off at the, uh, the good side of the force. And uh, <laughs> I got my CPA, got all that stuff. And yeah, so I started off my career. So for me, I made that leap, uh, you know, almost like uh, I've been in FPNA probably about 10 years. So about a decade ago is where I decided to, I was like, hey, man, this is really the future of where this thing is going. So definitely, I am a retired accountant. I can speak US GAAP, I can speak IFRS, which are foreign languages to some uh, on the FPNA side. But uh, definitely, man, I've made that leap. Well, this is going to be fun then. Yeah, my ahead. whole career, I guess, has been on the dark side of the forest, if you will, to, to use Chris's <laughs> uh, analogy there. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a, an analyst throughout my career. The funny thing is, is when I went through, when I was uh, majoring in economics in college, I was required to take a few accounting courses, and I absolutely hated it. And then my first job out of college was being trained as a commercial loan officer. Uh, at a regional bank and they put me through so much intense accounting because you had to be able to break down financials and understand all that stuff. So we did a lot of training on accounting. And I just remember after I went through it, I was like, yeah, this just reminds me of why I did not want to pursue this. <laughs> and I just definitely like that. Uh, the, the, the creativeness that is required in FPNA where you start with a blank spreadsheet and you just build from there. Well, let, let, yeah, let's let's get into it. I'm not sure I like the analogy about the dark side and the good side of the force. I, I think uh, you know finance and finance and accounting are the good sides of the force, and uh, you know sales and marketing are the dark sides. Um, so let's uh, let's let's maybe maybe drop that one so that we can create some harmony amongst the office of the CFO. Um, 
All right. Well, gents, uh, this will, this will be a fun topic. And and Chris, you get to play the the voice of the accounting uh, side of the house today, and and talk to some of their their challenges and their frustrations with the creativity that uh, us on the business side uh, deploy and employ and try and, you know, ask them to bend things that shouldn't bend. Uh, so let's get started. Why, why should we care about having a really strong relationship between finance and accounting? And, and Chris, I'll start with you being the uh, former accountant. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's three key business questions that I think accounting, finance, FP&A have to answer, right? What do we say we're going to do? What do we do? And what are we going to do about it, right? To me, when I look back through it, accounting has always been that, that place of saying, what do we say we're going to do and what do we do, right? That is the starting point, the foundation of any business decision that you want to make. So, you know, when I was involved early in my career from a public accounting perspective and also at a high growth entrepreneur company, uh, a SaaS company doing accounting work, that was always the starting point. And you have to have solid foundations, right? You have to make sure you're up to date with, you know, the ASE 606s of the world, the IRFS 15, you know, the IRFS 18. Yeah, yeah, everybody listening, I know the language, I know the lingo, I know the guidance, right? You have to have that. And to me, even right now, my current role as senior director of finance and uh, FPNA for Amarsis, I'm in close uh, partnership with my uh, my colleague out in Vienna, who is the head of accounting, right? And to me, it is a constant conversation, right? Because everything feeds off of one another. When you look at the business planning, if you're you know trying to do a next six month forecast for the business and you don't have a solid accounting close process, you don't have solid processes and uh, segregation of controls, you don't have you know a nice documented and well uh, solidified processes that are driving the, the KPIs, how can you really take that information and forecast the business? So to me, they are one and of the same, and that's a direct partnership to have. But the thing about it is, is like, you got to make sure you're maximizing the efficiency on both sides, like, and you got to speak in accountant's language. I think too many times, like finance and FPA people go to accountants, and they don't really establish that baseline, like, Hey, look, here's what we're looking to do, right? Accounts are going to be focused on the debits, the credits. Here's how I close. Here's what the entries we need to have. Here's what that is. But I think connecting them to say, okay, here's why this is important, but answers that business question is, here's what we're going to do about that information and bring them along the journey. And I think one thing that I've really uh, learned as leaders is that it's really important to be uh, you know, connecting with accounting to focus them and bring them along in that journey of what the bottom line results you're driving in. So I think it's, you know, understanding their language. I think it's also making sure that you can, you know, dive into the details and have those solid processes and procedures, but also connecting with those accounting leaders to ultimately connect them to the vision of where the business is going. That's where I've seen it be really successful. Awesome. Uh, Glenn, what's your perspective? So I look at it in a way that, so in FPNA, we do not create any historical data, period. That always comes from somewhere else. And on the financial side, that comes from accounting. And what we have talked in the past about, you can't understand where you are, where you are going and how you're going to get there if you don't know where you are. And that is the grounding that accounting provides. It is, hey, we're going to tell you exactly where your starting point is. So that, I, I kind of look at it as if you're a farmer, 
when you go over and plant your crops for, you know, and that you want to go and grow whatever fruit you're going to be growing, that seed that you're planting, that's accounting. You can't do it without them. That you have to recognize their importance and everything that you do builds off of what they do. So because of that, accounting is one of the most critical partners that FPNA has. And I do agree with what Chris was saying, where you have to help them understand kind of where you're going because you want to give them that perspective, but you also want to make sure you are getting those insights from them. It is truly a partnership. It is not a one-way street. I've actually been in, in finance organizations where they basically say, hey, accounting, your job is to answer my question. No, that is not their job. Their job is to close the books and put it together and make sure everything ties out right so that if you are a public company and you're putting your, money, your, your data out to the street, it's correct. Or if you're a private company, you're reporting numbers back up to your owner, the numbers are right. That is absolute, that's what accounting's job is. What you have to go and make sure is that accounting understands that you have a job too and you can't do it without their partnership. And so you have to make sure that they understand the importance that the role that they play in the process. You can't just go over and say, yeah, you know what? You're doing all your debits and credits. I'm the one telling the CFO where the business is gonna go. You're gonna just shoot yourself in the foot. You've gotta make sure that, these, that, that the accountants are not only great partners with you and understand where you're going, but you want them to give you the, that heads up. You don't have, you shouldn't be going to them and asking questions. When they see something, you want them to pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, by the way, I just saw this. You're going to see a big variance in this area because we just booked this type of transaction. And that is an absolute critical thing to it. Or FPNA can't be successful with that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the accounting team are the early warning system for surprises. Uh, no one, no one likes surprises unless they're really good surprises. And even then, uh, sometimes that's not that exciting, uh, in a business, unless it's like a massive bluebird deal, in which case some, some rep was sandbagging, um, where, where I think what, what you both said there is you can't know where you're going to go, or you can't plan to go somewhere unless you know where you are right now today. And if any of that information is inaccurate, then that new direction that you go is, uh, you know, you could be leading yourself down, down the wrong path. Can you talk to me about, you know, obviously accounting is something that you have to do. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, I've talked about that uh, cognitive and non-cognitive and manual and um, you know, a high value work. And, you know, often accounting can be put in that bottom left quadrant of, you know, highly repetitive, highly non-cognitive. And, and so it's a really ripe space for a lot of automation. And, and a lot of organizations try to minimize the cost there. But when you do that, you can often end up with a large impact to the business, which is your close takes 15, 16, 17 days. What is the impact to you as FPNA professionals when that occurs, when you have a 15, 16 day close, and how does that prevent you from doing your job? You want me to start or Chris? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, a long close kills FPNA because the process that FPNA goes through for monthly reporting starts with, okay, the books are closed. So if you are not starting, let's just take a, an average one. Let's say you're talking about March and you go over and, and your books are not closed until March 15th. That means FPNA can't start looking at any of the numbers until March 15th 
usually it takes a few days, maybe up to a week to go over, put the reports together, write up the analysis. And then by the time you're having conversations with, with your business partner, you're talking about you're in the last week of March. When you're having that conversation with business leader, your data is a month, is a month old, you're, it's stale. Because they've already, they, they've already gone through another month by the time you start talking to them. So that long close process really shoots you in the foot because you can't have a conversation that allows the business to be able to react to where they landed in the prior month and adjust from there. They're instead, they're doing it a month later. So you really want to look at trying to get that close process ideally down to five or six days. Chris, what, what have you been, you know, where have yeah. you been? I mean, I have been a, I've been a part of this process, man. And, you know, we, in some organizations that I've been a part of, we were, you know, week number three before we were closing down the months and having consolidated data, right? So really finance and FP&A had only like four business days to do any kind of planning, any kind of analysis, any forward looking. So the first ground that you want to say, and now, you know, we move our month and close to day number two. We have 80, 90% of the time that used to take with close, just closing the books, right? Now we're spending that time like, how do we achieve it to our forecast? Where are we at in our KPIs? How are we tracking to the budget that we set out? So you really want to factor that time and make accounting as efficient and effective as possible, right? But it's also balancing accuracy and precision. Typically, accounts always want to be precise, right? And that usually that 20, 10 to 20% of a balance sheet reconciliation or data, that's going to extend out, right? That'll take another three to four days. And when you're working with an international company, like I'm at a Marxist, like those, those cycle timelines are two to three days before you can get it. So I think really working with accounting to balance accuracy and precision. Look, as a high growth revenue company uh, in SaaS, the precision area you want to have is your accounts receivable, your deferred income, and your revenue. You want to have that 97% accurate. That's what I mean around precision, if not 99% to 100% accurate, right? In some areas where you want to make it, uh, I'm sorry, precision. Accuracy, I look at it to say, hey, can we make some assumptions around some bonuses or some commissions that we can just true up on a quarterly basis? So really it's sitting down with accounting and say, what are those areas, those key risk areas that we want to be precise, 97 to 99 to 100% accurate in all of our data? Where do you want to be uh, uh, accurate in your information to say 70 to 85%, we want to have it down, right? And really, one thing that I went through that was all, and I would suggest all accounting, finance, FP&A leaders go through this, I actually had the opportunity to work through a Kaizen. Basically, what a Kaizen is, it's establishing what is your baseline right now. So we did it on the month and close process. And we were getting done middle of the month, almost the third week. And we said, where can we, what is our baseline processes, all of our people, all of our deliverables that we have. And then we identified the ideal state that we want to get to, which is day three of a close. And what all needs to happen? Who needs to do what? What, what can we be accurate and precise about? What can we actually do and not do? And we really got to, and we worked through that in the quarter, and we were able to go through that entire process where the accounting, finance, and FP&A were involved to say, if we can get done day three, this is how much time that we can have forward-looking and strategic long-range planning for the business. So I would, and, and that was a partnership with the accounting. I would recommend all the listeners that if you want to deepen that partnership, 
that understanding and really accelerate that month in close, do a Kaizen, right? Sit down and really whiteboard out and map out. Here's all the different pieces that we need. Here's the bottlenecks. Here's the constraints. It really lays down the path that you need to go do and then go execute towards it. So to me, you've got to have a, a, a very efficient, uh, balanced accuracy and precise month in close. That is the starting point. That's the rocket ship that uh, FPNA needs to land on and actually go look towards the future for the business. Yeah, it's, it sounds to me something similar that I've experienced in my career, which is a productivity analysis, right? Like, you know, where and then doing a gap analysis to become where we're efficient. Um, so really interesting, Chris. And I want to stay with you just for a second. Tell me what it's like on your side when you're part, you, you know, as an accountant, you know, cast your mind back 10 years back when you were, you were on the on the uh, on the accounting side of the house. What's it like when you're in a 15, 16 day close? How does it feel to you? And and what are your struggles and pain points at that time that you're trying to break free of? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm still wearing the controller hat now. So it's not like I'm far away from the month in close as I, as I was 10 years ago. Uh, but I think when you're going through such a long and extended month in close process with you, it is constant urgency, right? You're in a constant steady state where, you know, you've got everything done to a point, but you're waiting for two or three people to do their part of the job, right? You're waiting for them to give you this data or, you know, they're in a rush on something, they're giving you the data, and then it's not the right way that you need it. So you're having to rework it all over again, right? And to me, when you have those extended timelines, right, you're already like doing the current month as you're closing the previous month. So when you're in those extended cycles, you're doing two, you're doing two months in like an extended period, you have constant overlap. And really, when you get done with the close, you're already jumping into the close again, right? Because when you're closing the books the second, the third week of the following month, you're already in those closing activities. So you're already always in a perpetual closing cycle, right? You're perpetually trying to follow up and you're like, you know, I got to get this from this person. And they're like, well, do you need it for last month or do you need it for this month? And it just, it causes a lot of inefficient, inefficiency around communication. It causes a lot of inefficiency around commitment. And it, it, it causes a lot of inconsistency around get, getting results, right? So I've been in those cycles where you're constantly going through that and you're ready to inform the business and you want to provide the insights, but you're providing so much of the past. You're looking so much of what we've done and you're not even spending so much, even in a month of like, where are we going to go this month, right? And what I've also seen from a team perspective is that creates a lot of burnout. That creates a lot of people that are just like, they know that if this person did this or if they had a technology that made it more efficient or they had a partnership that made it more efficient, even accountants are focused on how they can make their jobs more efficient or do things outside of just the debits and credits, right? And to me, I think that's where when you work on those places where you, you leverage the partnerships, you clearly lay out the communication and also you leverage technologies that's where you're able to bridge everybody together. Now everybody is working. Accounts can work to make sure that they have the, the journal entries, the centralized, and they're coming up with new ideas to take weight off of FP&A to say, okay, you're doing your long range forecasting on this. Well, I know deferred revenue, right? I know what our new entries are. I can see deferred revenue. So I can help you now that we're closing in day three, I can prepare a deferred revenue analysis that's based on all the contracts that we sold. 
to give you the baseline to say, hey, FPNA, if we didn't sell another contract for the rest of the year, new business or existing business, here's what revenue is going to be, right? Accounts know that. Accounts can supply FPNA directly with that information, looking at deferred revenue. So that's where you get in those conversations where you're able to partner and bridge some of those gaps, right? FPNA is helping accounting. Accounting is helping FPNA. And it's all about that balance versus like being in a three-week close process outside the month where nobody knows where the business is going, accounting, finance, or FPNA. Those are the advantages and some of the frustrations that I've seen when I've been involved in, and can, even still today, involved in the month in close process. And that's what Glenn touched on earlier, right? That that offset that it creates when you have that 16-day, you know, close or 15-day close, you're now, you know, providing the business with the, you know, information that is offset by a month. And so the insights are too late. And, uh, you know, I really love that point, Chris, about how that then leads to this duplication of effort and inconsistency inside of the accounting team because you're, you know, you're looking at this invoice, which one, which month is that for? Because now I just don't know. It, it, it kind of, uh, it made me think this is why so many uh, finance people that I meet must be endurance athletes because they're so used to running above threshold, <laughs> right? Like they're, they're always, you know, running without oxygen where if they were, you know, having a five day close, they would have that oxygen where they could breathe. And, you know, that, that kind of whole concept of endurance athletes where they can just run without, you know, their muscles getting more oxygen. <laughs> Glenn, um, you've worked, you, you know, you've probably worked at what we know you've worked in bigger organizations than, than Chris and I, right. When, when you scale to those bigger organizations, obviously you end up with much bigger accounting teams, multi-entities, multi-currency, multi-geographies. Can you talk through some of the impact that that specifically has on, on accounting and, and, and you know, your experience in working with them? But how does that then translate to some of the challenges that FP&A have? With all of those same considerations, right? FPNA is planning against different geographies, different product sets, different, um, you know, different portfolios, different currencies. That must just compound and compound many of the problems, right? Uh, it could. It depends on, you know, really the leadership within the accounting organization and how they are structured. Uh, I have worked. I mean, some of the companies I've worked at have had hundreds of legal entities around the globe. And sometimes they are focused on geographic differences because you know Europe is going to close their books one way, Asia is going to do a different way, Latin America third way, the US fourth, mid-Canada fifth. And now if you're looking at a business that crosses all the geographies and you're trying to figure out what's going on, you have to go over and interact with five or six different people just to get that full picture. Other times, the accounting structure could be based on function of the company, and they truly work globally. So if you are, you know, looking at, you know, sales versus, you know, compensation or something, you might have a particular team that handles it globally, uh, and they work on particular GL accounts. Certain groups might do revenue versus expense and those types of things. In that aspect, it's, you can have a a more streamlined conversation because you can speak to one person about the global organization, but for them to go and get specific, sometimes that becomes a more difficult conversation because they have to go and pull in 
particular counterparts in other places. The hardest thing is that when you have to keep multiple books, right? So if you are, if you have a legal entity that is in Europe, they're going to be on IFRS. But if you're a US company, you're consolidating in US GAAP. And when you get to certain things, especially around like depreciation and amortization, there are a lot of differences in IFRS and, and US GAAP. So your European team typically has to manage two different sets of books, an IFRS set of books and a US GAAP set of books. And you have to know, based on the work that you're doing, what's the right conversation and what's the right data to be talking about, because otherwise you could end up with you know, the accountant trying to do their best to answer your question, but if you don't ask the right question, they give you what they think is the right answer and it may not be the right one. So that is where it is so critical to make sure that you understand not only how the accounting group is structured, but who the right people are in the process to make sure you're having the right conversations. Because you know everything, you know, we talked about it before, you have to know where you are in order to start projecting about where you're going to be. And if you don't have the right definition for where you are, chances are your projections are gonna be off. So it really comes down to making sure that, that everybody's grounded and you understand who the right people are. Sometimes having a large organization is not a bad thing because you get a lot of experts on the different things, different you know, areas of the company, different geographies. The biggest thing is to be able to navigate it and know who are those go-to people to make sure you're having the right conversation. I, I love that. And it's one of the, uh, you know, Elon Musk has this principle of, you know, go directly to the person who can solve your problem. Uh, but often in big organizations, and I'm sure this is a problem within Elon's organization is, how do you know who that is sometimes, right? And, and so, you know, that's not unique to, to, to any organization because there are many people that just have those specific resources. And, and if you don't know, you have to go and find out. That's, that's you know, up to you in, in your role is to figure out who is that person to know and, and go and get that cut through. And Rowan, I'm gonna have one more thing because oftentimes when you have a large organization, especially accounting teams that are not based in where your headquarters are, they may not have that full business perspective. If you are a accountant in Ireland, you may not know what is going on in the US. So if you know, hey, I know that account, I know exactly they're the person who can answer my question, but they may not understand where you're coming from. So it's not always about going to the person who directly answer your question. Sometimes you gotta have that higher level conversation with their boss or their director or whatever to make sure mm -hmm. that the right context we put in place to get the answer you need. Love that, Glenn. Thank you. Chris, one element we haven't talked, we talked a lot about closing the books. Uh, once they're closed, we've got to do something with them, right? We've got to tell people about it. Uh, and that's our reporting process. What, when you are in a high-performing accounting team, what does reporting look like? Yeah, I think reporting in a high-performance accounting team that has accelerated and, and bridged the gap of the month in close that's where typically where I see it is like, I've not worked with people that are just like, hey, they get done one month and close and they're like, on to the next like, you know, invoice that they need to code or their next entry, the journal entry to put, right? I've seen accounts say, okay, I know we passed the baton off to FP&A. What does reporting look like, right? I think a common one is the budget to actual variance, right? And to, at Amarsis and other organizations, that used to just be an exercise that, uh, FP&A did. And they were like, account was like, no, 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 no. Like we closed the books, 
That's where we hand it off to you guys to go do. And it's the typical analysis, P&L, budget to actuals, variance analysis is like, that should be in the Harvard Business School case. And it's like, that's the starting point, right? But what I've always said is like, this is an opportunity to help accountants connect the dot of where the business is and where it's going. So I would take time with them and say, hey, like, you're, you were the, and I, also, again, Glenn mentioned, like, getting to the person that's the closest. I would even take it a step further and say, you want to get to the person that's closest to the details, right? Accounts know that. Accounts, if you look at professional services was budgeted at $25,000, and now we have it at $30,000, and that's up $5,000 in one month, which is 20%. That goes above the variance analysis, right? We want to look at everything above a thousand euros and 10%. That triggers, that flags it, right? But it's beyond to just say, oh yeah, I would go to the accountant and say, hey, we went over $5,000. Is this a trend that you're seeing? Is this a one-time piece of it? What's driving that? Was this an assumption that we're going to consider going forward? And working directly with them and say, hey, let's, let's look at these together, Let's go through and like, this is why I'm looking at it. And these are questions that I'm asking. Because now if you take that time, energy, and effort that first time, they're going to know what you're going to ask going forward. They're, they're already going to know it. And now you just enable and empower them that they're, they're almost your little FP&A people already. Because they're going to say, oh, man, I know Chris is going to ask me about this. And this is what he's going to ask for. This is what he's going to be looking into. So let me just already drop that out there for it, right? And just say, hey, Chris. It was a one-time invoice. We had to, you know, pay this 401k fee. It was one time. We missed it in the last quarter. It should be at the budget and baseline. It should be at the budgeted rate going forward. You've already got all the work done. And now they're more impactful and enabled to know the business. So to me, I think the reporting aspect is the, is the, is the landing ground to now get accountants to see more of that forward looking, right? It's the budget to actual. Some of the other, uh, things that we do inside the business that I partner with the accounting group on is getting them to see the bookings and the, the revenue performance, right? Like they see it and they do the reconciliations at the, at the entity levels, but here's where this is going, right? Like we had a forecast that we set out for FC7, which was at this number. This is this number, right? This is where we're tracking, right? We're, this is why this number is important that we crossed over, you know, X amount of dollars in a month, because that's why this SAS metric is important. We just achieved something, and it's, it's connection, right? And one thing that I've seen is like accounting people, they, they want to know, that's their baby, the books, the numbers, the, that's their baby. They want to see it get hand off and like, okay, this is where it's going. Like, this is how that number is going to mature to be a, an adult or, you know, an NBA player at some point, right? They want to, they want to have that piece of it. So I think connecting them, the reporting is a great way to connect accountants to the future of where the business is going, but also to enable their knowledge and to upskill them. Because let's be honest, accountants are always the first landing point that if you want to find FP&A, there's a lot of accountants right now that are looking at this saying, yes, Chris, I'm an accountant, but I want to be FP&A. How do I make that leap? And where do you go find that talent? It's typically in the accountant piece. They know the numbers. They speak the lingo. They probably have, you know, the art of storytelling and some of these other things that we talked about to help them bridge over to FP&A. So I'm always like, as I'm always curious, I'm always recruiting as well. Like as a finance person, as a leader in finance, I'm always recruiting like, where are my superstars? Where are my hidden gems and people? And I typically always go to the accounting 
And my county leaders may get mad at me to say, hey, Chris, you're always plucking our people and taking them over to FPNA. But I think that's where that's a huge value uh, add for accountants. I love that, Chris. It, it, it kind of formulates under a concept that, you know, we talk a lot about the partnership side of FPNA, right? Uh, but that also extends directly inside your own function, right? You know, finance and accounting are better together. Finance and marketing are better together finance and sales are better together, right? Like when we add these two things, one-on-one plus, you know, it becomes three if we can do those things. And, and it's really, really powerful when it happens. And, you know, one-on-one can often equal one and a half if it's not an excite, like if you're in that, you know, 16, 17 day close, because now we're offset, right? Uh, like Glenn was saying earlier. So it, it's really interesting uh, as, as we've been talking like how intrinsically linked these these organizations are. Of course they are. They have to be. Um, but often you hear about the fact that they're almost siloed in some instances. And, and you know, we have spoken so many times on, on, on FP&A Fridays about, you know, just connecting two parts of an organization. The same is true of, of finance and accounting. If, if you're in an organization where that feels closed off, reach over the aisle, go and be that person that, that tries to bring that together. You know, you'll, you'll find that your job becomes easier and the accounting team will probably feel like their job becomes a little easier. Glenn, anything we've touched on that, uh, that you think, wow, like, you know, when, when we're talking finance and accounting, this is a really big topic that we need to cover. So I think there are two things. Um, one was something that Chris was talking about as you kind of go through when you do your budget variance analysis. Oftentimes, granted, I have been working at larger companies. Some, what they usually do is kind of a soft close before consolidations get done. And usually at that point, I always ask my FP&A team to go and have meetings with their accountants while they're working through the variance analysis before the books get closed so that they can look at what is going on, have that detailed discussion around vendors, contracts that Chris was talking about, but accountants are people too. Sometimes people make mistakes. And oftentimes when an FP&A person comes in and looks at the books from a certain trend or a view or a certain perspective, they might catch something that wasn't booked properly. And by having that discussion before the books are final, it really helps the accountants to make sure that they're not going to have to go back and make you know prior period adjustments, other things. So I think sometimes it, it's not about FPNA correcting accounting because that's not the right thing. We are we are not instructors on how they do their job. And yeah. say, no, you did this wrong. It is more about hey, I was expecting to see this. You booked it in this way. Is that really the right thing? Or should this have maybe been approved in this way instead or something? And have that conversation, that partnership conversation with the accounting team, because I have found more often than not, the accountants come back and say, oh, you know what? We weren't even looking at it that way. You're right. Let's go fix that. And so you make sure that you're, once the books are final, you're actually landing in a better spot. Uh, and on top of that, FPNA through that conversation, naturally what comes out of that is the variance analysis and you could go over and explain what is going on because you're having that conversation with the accountants so don't so my, my first point is don't wait until the books are closed before you start having that conversation 
The accounting team is a, is a very strong partner, but FP&A, I've never been in a company where FP&A does not have access to the general ledger and can start looking at things before the books become final and you'll have those conversations. The second thing that I wanted to bring up is really around reporting because FP&A reporting and accounting reporting are different and that the accounting reporting is legal entity based. It's used typically by your tax team to make sure that you know taxes are being paid and you know, people are looking at it that way. It's also used for public reporting because they are financial statements. When you are going over and looking at FP&A reporting, that is a management report that is typically purely internal. It's about insights. What do I need to know so I can make better decisions? And it is oftentimes more forward-looking where accounting reporting is backward-looking. And so just to make sure that it, it's okay to have both accounting and FP&A doing reporting, but they need to understand where they connect, but also what, what makes them different and when and to make sure that the accounting group understands. You also, by the way, if you are an FP&A and you are not sharing your, your reports with the accounting team in some way to let them know what is how you're using their numbers, that's not a very good partnership. Share the information, make sure that people have those, you know, that understanding of, hey, here's what FP&A is doing with it. Here's how they're looking at their, their reports because that partnership just by giving them information back is just as critical to them as them giving the information to you to start the recording. So that is truly a two-way street. You just want to make sure you have that strong partnership. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I actually want to extend on it for, for one moment, uh, Glenn, which is FP&A, you know, you don't find a business partner on the accounting side for sales and marketing, for example, right? So FP&A is also the translator for some of those accounting principles to folks like me, I I never studied accounting. Uh, you know, I I understand. You know, I studied computer science, right? So I understand how the internet works. I have no idea how our books work, um, but I rely on my FP&A team member to help me understand key accounting principles and how certain expenditure will get recognized, how that impacts my budget, how I should think about that for planning, and so. You know, you can't be a great advisor to your to your business partner, in my case, marketing, if you don't understand, if you're not the voice of accounting for that organization as well. So it's also your responsibility as an FPNA leader or an FPNA, you know, person responsible to be the voice of accounting to the business and and not, you know, like some you know, it's often you hear about, you know, accounting often can be the enemy because they're the ones that are doing it this way. We're doing it that way for legal reasons. You've got to go and justify and help explain to someone else why it's all being done that way. Like, it's very important that it gets done that way. Otherwise, they go to jail and your CFO is not happy and you, your company's in trouble, right? So, you know, I, I think one thing that I want, you know, the audience to hear out of this is become that translator for the business yes. and and ask those key questions to your accounting team. Hey, what do you need the business to know about this process? I will help you tell that story. I will use my position as the partner to be your voice with them. And Ro, let me add one more thing. You want to make sure one of the most frustrating things that I have heard from accounting is when a business leader, you know, somebody in marketing or sales or operation calls them up directly and starts asking them about something, but they don't know how to speak the accounting language. And the accountant 
interprets what they think the question is. They answer a question, but then the business part is like, no, that's not the answer I was looking for. That doesn't answer my question. Now, both sides are getting very frustrated. By yeah. having FP&A go and be translated, be that liaison between the two groups, FP&A can understand the business, but they have to understand accounting. And they can go over and make sure that it's the right question being asked and you're telling the right story and you avoid a lot of that frustration. The second you get executive business leaders calling up accountants and why did you make this accrual? You are having the wrong conversation. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's... don't do that. Don't do that, guys. Don't have your business people call an accountant. That gets, I've been in those situations. I've been on both sides of it. That gets that gets really, really highly stressful for sure. Yes. And if well, that, you are that... a table clerk and you are, you know, a, a relatively low-level person and a senior vice president calls you up about a particular vendor, you know, line that, that they see in a report somewhere, that table clerk is freaking out because they're like, oh my God, I have this really senior person calling me. I gotta answer their question, but I have no idea what they're talking about. It, yeah. It's just not a good situation. So you want to make sure your business partners are going through FP&A and let FP&A answer those questions and, and give those answers back. And by the way, it's all a great thing to say, hey, I let's bring the accountant person back with me when I'm communicating back to the, uh, to the business to make sure that not only are you giving them credit for their work, but then they can hear the business person asking the question and how FP&A translates it to make it work for him. I, I mean, just to add to what Glenn said real quick, Rowan, like to summarize it, right? You want FP&A to be the financial translators in the business. Like that's literally what you want them to do, right? You got the business maybe speaking a different language. You got accounting speaking a different language. Like you need to be the business interpreter in between that, that, that process, right? And that's where it's super successful for everybody because accounting knows, hey, I have Chris Ortega that can speak my language. He can speak the FASBs. He can speak the, you know, the US GAAP, the IFRS. But then also I got Rowan that says, yeah, I can go to Chris and, you know, he's not, he doesn't sound like a robot or like a lawyer or something, right? Be the business financial interpreters and translators, right? That is the key of it. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, and that, that, that has a, a level of humility you have to have. Like you have to come to accounting and you gotta humble yourself, right? You gotta really, humble yourself and the same thing for the business but it is all about starting with that place and there's no better partner that I had throughout my career yes sales and marketing I love working with them those are my guys and my, my men and women I love them so much but my real like my, my ace in the hole and I'm just like hey if we're in the trenches together I'm typically in the trenches with the county so you got to make sure you're being that financial translator and that influencer but also making sure you're connecting the dots between both angles and to uh, kind of carry on something that Glenn was saying, which is, you know, bring that, you know, accounting person in, that comes something that you, you were saying, Chris, which is that's the talent pool, right? So when you can bring in the accountant in there, you're also showing them a path to nurturing them as talent to help them understand the real world impact of what they're doing but you can do it in a way where you're protecting them and you know, you're being there as their translator and, but they get to learn, okay, this is when I, when I do it this way, that's how it impacts the business. When I do it this other way and both could be right. Uh, this is the other impact to the business. And 
it helps them really kind of uh, come along in their journey. And, and then, you know, as Chris said, that's, that's when you then start poaching them. Once they get really good at that, it's like, now it's time to bring them along. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> One other thing though, is that keep in mind, if you are a staff accountant and you're sitting there, your job, you're booking your, your journal entries and you're doing that. Now, all of a sudden you're invited to a meeting with the senior vice president or chief marketing officer that is exposure you don't normally get. And they, the accountants are excited about that. Oh, I'm going to see more about what, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hear from this person on what's going on in the business by just giving them that exposure. You are building a lot of credibility with those accountants because you are not saying, Hey, look, I'm at PNA. I own these relationships. You don't get to talk to them. You're bringing them into that circle. You're helping to enhance that relationship build the trust on the accounting side as well. And that's just going to pay dividends down the road. And, and frankly, you know, as someone who's uh, had my FP&A team member bring the accounting team to meetings, it's so helpful because we get to we get to shortcut a lot of stuff like they're in there going journal entry. Here it is. Here's that. This is how it's going to translate. And I'm like, oh, great. All right. We solved that problem in five seconds. That was amazing because this person knows the detail inside out. And and we can have that conversation super quickly inside of the business without like this email chain that takes four days to go back and forth and finally get the answer. So the other advantage for a business person like me is I get to see solutions to questions far faster than I ever would if that translation doesn't happen, you know, like if that translation has, has to happen over email or something like that, like that quick huddle can solve so many problems and, and you can really get to that happy place much faster or even a, a bad place, but you get to the facts much faster. And Chris said something in his last comment, he was talking about being humble and that, you know, an FPNA, oftentimes you think, hey, I got these great relationships with all these business executives. I'm solve, helping them solve all these problems. I'm a stud. I love, you know, I, I'm the guy that everybody wants to talk to. You know what? Shut up. Just take a step back, <laughs> go over and, and bring your partners with you and say, I can't solve everything on my own. This is a team effort. And hey, business leader, I want you to go over and have to know who the person is who's booking these things. And let's make sure we're all having that conversation together. I don't need to be the center point of every conversation. I just want to make sure that the conversations are being had and they're being had in the right way. That's in, if you could go and do that and you take your own ego out of it, you solve so many more problems. You do it faster and you become a better partner to everybody. And I, I, just to add to that, and I think this is really important for everybody that hears this because there's, there's going to be accounts listening to this right now and be like, I'm ready to make that jump to FP&A. But I think it's so much value in this one question when you're trying to work through and give you tangible takeaways to go build that partnership, right? Go to accounting and say, you know what? I need your help. I'm struggling to understand this. Can I get some time with you to just walk me through and understand their perspective? And it doesn't matter if you're like a, you know, like a, a junior FPNA or you're leading FPNA. When you do that with accounting, as much as we mentioned, it breaks everything down, right? And you're just like, oh yeah, I see. This is what that means. The biggest one I've worked with is ASC 606, right? One of the biggest accounting pronouncements that have changed that is revolutionizing revenue. It's aligning IFRS and trying to explain that to a VP of salesperson, right? But I worked with <laughs> our auditors. I worked with our head of accounting and said, guys, like, 
I need your help in this. And ups, it, that, that denutralizes so many conversations when you go to a person and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I know you're a subject matter expert with this. I need your help. And I want to take some time to listen and understand your perspective. In any, in any situation with any business partner and stakeholder, you do that. You've denutralized everything. And now you got that account excited. Like, oh, man, like, this is the person that is doing all this stuff. And they're, you know, they can do this. And they want me to help them. And typically, that is how you get the momentum and the ball rolling, right? And it just, it, it pays so many dividends. And accounts right now, let's be honest. Accounts right now want to do the creative, the sexy, the awesome stuff that FP&A is doing. Typically, about 80% of them want to do that, but they're too shy. They don't know how to start doing it. They don't know if they have the skills. They don't know if they have the talent. They don't know if they have the personality, but it's all about getting them down that road. And the more that FP&A can help move the value proposition and connect the dots for accounting people, the more awesome FP&A is just going to be overall. And one, one quick thing just to add to that. When I was at Digital Realty, the FP&A group was on the 32nd floor. The accounting group was on the 31st floor. I would be on the 31st floor probably two or three times a day. I would go down there, talk to them in person, say, hey, here's what is going on. I could use your help on this. Can you walk me through how, how you did this or help me find this? And just making sure that you're having that connection. And I was a VP of you know, running corporate FP&A and I was down there all the time talking to the various people in accounting because they were that critical and that important. Glenn, I would have been on the 31st floor all day because I'm afraid of heights. So I would have wanted to be on the lowest floor possible available to me. Um, but <laughs> but that's, some, that's another story. Guys, uh, it's been an amazing uh, session. And for those listening, if you got all this way and you're an FP&A, send your accounting team this episode of the podcast you know they may not be listening uh given the title is fpna fridays send this to them and you know get their perspective ask them what they thought about it because you know it will open up a conversation about your two roles and how you can help each other and uh and, and it'll be a really interesting conversation for you in finance and you and, and those in accounting to to really open up a lot of what we've talked about so uh, please definitely click that share button on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and, uh, and share that with your accounting team because they, they hopefully will learn a lot and you'll learn a lot from them too. So for today, FPNA Fridays is over. We'll be back next week and uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone.